It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we'll recap the group stage and look ahead to the knockout phase. Can Wales continue on the road to match their semi-final exploits of five years ago? Will the Italians keep marching on? And who's our team of the tournament so far? This is the game Euro 2020. And remember, if you're enjoying all of our Euro 2020 content thus far, then make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times. You can get it today for less than a pound per day. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to begin your free trial. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside me for the next, what, 40 minutes or so, maybe a little bit less. Alison Rudd, Tom Clark, Gregor Robertson, how are you? Messing football. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. My work Thank is you, done. Thank you, Alison. My work is Thank done. You. My work is done. I had a little boy outside the house last night going mummy 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 can you see the house can you see that mummy can you see the flags oh mummy mummy can you see the flags look at the flags on that lady's house look at the flags look at the flags and the mother said yeah they do that every time (laughs) (laughs) amazing firstly your hearing is sensational do you just stand at the window waiting for people to compliment the house (laughs) 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 you even though you're wearing a big thick hoodie it is june and our windows are open so maybe you forgot and it's summer and they're big windows too it's pouring with rain in Amsterdam so I have forgotten it's very cold chilly and windy so yes I'm glad you're enjoying the summer weather back home Um, and I'm glad that the house is getting the props it deserves Alison (laughs) frankly speaking because you went to all that effort and you you deserve that sort of inspiring the future generation of exactly. flag house people rather than footballers like the Scotland players. But there you go. You've, you've, <laughs> you've, you've in some way added to the football environment. So thank you for that personally. Um, look, loads for us to discuss today. We'll look ahead uh, in a while to the two matches on Saturday that begin the last 16 round, of course. But I did want to reflect on what we've seen because the games have come so thick and fast. We haven't really spoken about the quality of the tournament. A couple of us have mentioned that we were enjoying it, but compared to other European championships, where does this one rank, I wonder? Um, Gregor, I'll start with you. What do you think of the quality of the tournament so far? I think it's been excellent. I think, I believe it's had more goals than any tournament since Euro 2000. I think we've seen more front foot football than I perhaps would have expected. You know, there's whole, this whole kind of narrative that's widely trotted out that you have to be pragmatic and solid defensively to win a tournament. And that may still turn out to be the case, but you see in Italy and the Netherlands, Belgium to a certain extent, really good teams to watch, exciting teams to watch. And there's also been some cracking games. Germany, Portugal was a, was a classic. I think Wales 
2-0 win against Turkey was a brilliant game, laden with drama. I think, you know, perhaps players are a little bit tired, but I don't think it, you know, you would expect that coming to it. I don't think it's been really in evidence in, in the, you know, it's certainly not affected the entertainment. So, so far, so good. I just would like to see, as I say, one of those teams who are, who are being brave. And I'd say, you know, Italy have clo- been the closest resemblance to a, a club team. You know, you see them kind of pressing in unison, you know, really coherent attacking patterns and stuff like that. I'd love to see a team like that go and win it because, as I say, the, historically, it's been the team who are who've solved at the back and can grind out the grind out the, the unspectacular one 0 wins who will win it. But still, a long way to go. Alison, what have you thought of Euro twenty twenty? I've loved it. Really loved it. Um, so much so that when when the, <laughs> I was on Times Radio and I was asked, you know, what's the schedule today? And I was all like, well, there are only two games at eight o'clock. That's it. It's like you know, I, I like it being on all the time. Um, addicted or what? Um, I think. I've loved the permutations. I've loved the minnows doing well. I've loved the fact that every match seems to have ebbed and flowed. I, I mean, they've won one or two where you just know the outcome and, and Italy are a bit of a fate complete often. But otherwise, I think most matches have you felt that most things could happen. Um, my favourite game so far was Russia v Denmark, which I worked on and had probably just about everything. I mean... incredible goals on top of the drama and Denmark needing to score enough goals to go through and then keeping tracks on what was happening with Belgium against Finland. I mean, it's just just absolutely amazing drama. So I've I've liked it. Also, I think a big bonus has been the group of death, which can end up being what it sounds like, which is um, turgid and defensive, but in fact just made everybody hyper- well, just hyper keen to to do what they could. Um, so I think we will. I think in years to come we will look back. Even though we were, we haven't even got to the knockout stage yet, I think we're bound to look back and think this was a classic tournament. Actually, big prediction for what's to come. I'll, I'll ask about what you might hope for the rest of the tournament in a in a second. But Tom, of the football so far, what have you enjoyed most? I think the guys have hinted at it. There, it's the. We talked about it before on the podcast that these tournaments are so great because they introduce us to people we've never heard of, players we've never seen before. And I think Italy and Holland encapsulate that kind of surprise element. You know, we both know them as famous nations of footballing notoriety, but they've got a lot of players that we'd never heard of before. And they're surprising us in the way they're succeeding. I know, Hugh, you and I have discussed about Holland's shortcomings and uh, they're going to come unstuck at some point, as, as you say. But I mean... Their game against Ukraine was an absolutely fantastic game. Great drama, um, end-to-end stuff. And so I think it's those kind of surprise elements. And again, Gregor hinted at it as well. The, the, the minnows, if you like, have really brought something to the party. I mean, Alison talked about the group of death. Hungary were fantastic in that group. They, they provided some great moments. Their performance against France was superb. They played very well against Germany. And, you know, they really made that group what it was, which it could have been a kind of shootout between three big teams all beating Hungary 4-0 and then, you know, nitpicking and tight games against each other. But Hungary really brought something to the party. And so, particularly as they were my team in the uh, sweepstake amongst my friends, I was very proud to have uh, parted with my £10, even though it got me absolutely nothing in the end. (laughs) (laughs) There have been loads of great performances from teams and individual players as well. And we'll talk about our best 11 in a second. But 
predictions is, is maybe a strong word for this, but what would you like to see happen between here and the end of the competition? I might as well start on this one because I just want, you know, when you get to the semi-finals and final, the juicy games, the ones that everyone's desperate to see, sometimes the tournament becomes more and more turgid as it goes on. Teams become more and more sort of defensive and worried about not winning the game if you if you if you see what I mean you know not going out and being really open and just worried firstly about not losing and um and I hope that doesn't happen this time around because I like you have all enjoyed the way that it has been quite open and it has had an extra sense of jeopardy this time around uh, Gregor what do you think yeah look I absolutely agree I think I want to see the teams that are the bravest teams succeeding and as I say that's not been the case historically um I'd like to see that kind of that pattern broken because often Gareth Southgate referenced this has been said quite a lot in the last few days. Gareth Southgate referenced when he's asked about his the way he he sets England up to play. He references France. He references Portugal. So when these countries have success playing that way, then other teams probably try and replicate it a little bit. So if we see an Italy or a, a Holland or Belgium on the front foot really taking it to teams and winning the tournament, then perhaps that will rub off and, you know, international football, which is, let's be honest, it's lagged behind the club game for the last 10, 15 years, you know, to quite a great, to, to a big extent. So, you know, that might change that a little bit. It might make it more exciting, a little bit more open and a little bit more attack-minded. So uh, that's that's my biggest wish, to see one of these teams lift the trophy. Alison, what would you like to see between now and what, the 12th of July? I want to see uh, Croatia v Spain go to a penalty shootout. because <laughs> 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 has to be specific. Of course it had to be. <laughs> well, Spain have lost... Well, missed their last um, five penalty kicks. So what, you know, what are they going to do about it? I'm fascinated. I won't, we won't find out unless it goes to penalties. So it's just like, that's my sort of instant gratification dream hope, definitely. Um, well, yeah, you just you just have to hope that the things you saw glimpses of come to fruition, that the teams grow and don't become negative. Like, for example, I have said on the record that you know, maybe just maybe Croatia have done that clever thing of starting, starting so that everyone writes them off, but they become, they become the team to be scared of. You know, after all, they did reach the World Cup final three years ago, and we're all. I mean, I assume they were too old, but the, you know, they're technically quite amazing. So I'm, I'm interested to see if that progression takes place, or they just had a one-off thing to get them through, or whether they really, they really are, they duped us, if you like. Um, I mean, there, there, there are some, there are some, some teams you think are just lucky to be there. If you were in the same group as North Macedonia, sadly, they were slightly naive and didn't quite have what it took. So they did become the whipping boys of their group. So the teams that have benefited from being in their group will probably be the weakest. But other than that, it's um, a very sexy looking route to the final. So Gregor went for this sort of overarching view of what he'd like to see. Alison, <laughs> extremely specific on a penalty shootout between Spain and Croatia. And of course, her hope for Croatia for the rest of the tournament. Tom Clark, is yours going to be really niche or are you going to say, you know, just generally what you want to see? I'd quite like France to get knocked out by Switzerland. That'd be good <laughs> if you want a specific. I'm kind of, Why? I'm kind of fed. I'm kind of fed up of waiting for them to impress me and dazzle me with all their brilliant players. I kind of feel a bit sorry for Kylian Mbappe. The guy is clearly absolutely box office and he's just, you know, restricted to go on, Kylian, run the channel for us, lad, will you? And it's all just a bit limiting. I mean, 
I'd, I'd be very keen to hear what France supporters think. If England fans are very frustrated by Gareth Southgate not releasing the uh, attacking talents that he's got in, in his disposal, then goodness knows what some France fans must think because, my God, they're tough to watch sometimes. And, I, I, and I've not really agreed with some of the punditry that has said, oh, aren't they fantastic? They're relying on Mbappe doing something special on his own. You know, the little flick around the corner to play in Benzema. That was superb, but he kind of made that happen on his own. It was a ball that was a bit behind him. And so, yeah, I kind of... France, France can jog on, do one, and we can all just enjoy Holland and Italy and Wales and all these brilliant teams that, as Gregor said, have been being brave and exciting. And you know what? England can go out as well. Let's just do that. Let's do it. Excellent. Let's get that out of the way as well. You know, we can all just then sit back and focus and enjoy all the other teams. So yeah, France and England, I'm tired of waiting for you to impress me. Just just jog on. There you go. There's specific. I've got one other specific one. I'd like to see Morata score a goal because I feel, I feel so sorry for him. You know, he came off and then the floodgate, floodgates opened in the last game and they won 5-0. Maybe, maybe uh, that's why. Well, maybe, yeah. But either way, I would like to see him score a goal. But, you know, I think his family's been targeted and stuff. He's, what, what are some people doing? He's Yeah, he's having a tough old time, so... There you go. I should have made it more specific for mine, but I, I haven't really got one. I, I almost agree with Tom that the, the competition doesn't really begin until England get knocked out because then we can all just <laughs> sit back and actually enjoy football for what it is instead of all the other subplots. Although we'll keep them going on this podcast, of course, next week. But um, the other thing I think when it comes to the tournament that, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see is when it comes to France, Tom, just reflecting on what you said is, I'd rather them stay in for that one game that everything clicks and that will probably be the final and they'll probably score five in the final having bored everyone to tears beforehand. But it's worth it for that one performance. I agree. I, I do have my suspicions that that performance might not come. I don't really rem- Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't really remember a performance coming of that ilk during the World Cup win. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been there. Argentina, wasn't it? Yes, true. Yes, true. But, I mean, Argentina, goodness me, they're very, very open, weren't they? But yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. You're right. It I mean, they did that score was four fun. in the final. I mean, that was a fun game. Yeah, I know. Maybe I'm being very, very harsh. But I just, <laughs> I don't know. There's been so much to enjoy and they're such a talented squad of players and I've, I haven't enjoyed any of their games. That's you need to do one of those favorite. ancestry tests and send your DNA off and you'll find that you're sort of 2% French and that is the thing that's making you so miserable about Kylian Mbappe running the channels. He's got Griezmann's, Griezmann's partner, hasn't he? Yeah, that's true. I do look quite like Antoine <laughs> Griezmann. Um, yeah. But I'm actually 10% Scottish, I found out the other week. So there you go, me and Greg and oh, oh, So that's what makes you so miserable. Now we know. Fantastic. <laughs> Listen, before we, exactly, before we take a look forward uh, to the big games on Saturday, including Wales and Italy both in action, I thought we should name our teams of the tournament so far because I, I feel bad for the players of the smaller nations. And that's the reason that I asked you guys to come with your best 11s because, of course, they don't get the opportunity to play six or seven or five games or whatever it is. And the team of the tournament is always consisting of about eight players that went to the semifinals. So it's almost like they don't get to show themselves off. And you know what a big fan of Lewandowski I, I am, for an example. So I thought, let's do it at the group stage. Every team's played three games. And this is probably the fairest team of the tournament you're going to hear. Um, I don't know who, to, who wants to start. I'll, I'll leave it up to you guys. Who's got a great team for me? Oh, my team's great. Oh, everyone confident. wants to go. Confident, so yeah. confident. That was said so smugly that now we have to start with Alison. Sorry, guys. <laughs> So I'll just go through it quickly. Are we going to argue each position? That'll take six weeks. No, no, no. So I'm not Listen, you, you just name your 11, but tell us why, you, you know, you liked them. And then um, let's see how many of them match up with the others. Okay. I've gone 4-3-3, three, three, um, roughly. And uh, in goal, I've gone for Lucas Hradecki of Finland because what do you want from a goalkeeper? You want him to be calm, 
and he faced a lot of shots and he was unlucky to let any in. And um, yeah, there was a, a serenity about him. And I just wanted someone from Finland, if I'm completely honest. Um, I don't think anyone will argue with um, Denzel Dumfries playing. I know, I mean, you know, come on, name and the name and the goals and the breakthrough recognition. Fantastic. Um, now, Christensen, Chelsea's Christensen, he's always looked a bit sort of like not quite not quite at the elite level for me when he's been playing for his club but playing for his country wow he's been fantastic defensively and he scored a wonder goal as well so I just think he has to be there Chiellini simply because Chiellini is Chiellini and he would make everyone's team um well he would wouldn't he uh, you just look at him before the kickoff and you think oh my god they're going to win uh Spinozola left back because he's class act I've got Pogba in there, which is going to annoy Tom, I think. But I think, again, I think it's about the contrast between what you see week in, week out and what we've seen from him in the tournament. If there's a plus from France, it's that he he's playing quite inspirationally and he's intuitive and he's allowing Mbappé to shine. Uh, Chelsea's Jorginho hasn't put a foot wrong. Uh, Wijnaldum, wow. You know, I mean, Liverpool, Liverpool thought they were sad to see him go. They're really sad now. Incredible tournament so far. Um, Lukaku, because I just think if you could create a composite team and have anyone, you just have his qualities in there. Uh, Ronaldo, because that's the law. And <laughs> Patrick Patrick Sheik, because he scored the, goal, scored the goal of the tournament. And I really wasn't very aware of him before the tournament, if I'm completely honest. And I like what I see. And I hope he comes to the Premier League. That's a very a good, good team. team. That's a good to team. Say it's pretty a very strong. Good team. It's pretty mainstream. Let's be honest. Come on, Pog. <laughs> Can you go for the niche team? Are you, <laughs> Alison Rudd? I thought you were more original than that. Honestly, I am original because I've got on. niche and mainstream in the same eleven. I'll go mm, next because yeah. then I've, I've got I've got quite a few similar, and it seems like Tom's going to mix it up. Go on if you want. I'll, I've got Danny Ward. I think he's been outstanding. He's made some huge saves um, for Wales, and he's not played a league in some stupid like four years. So uh, amazing. Amazing performance so far. Big Denzel, yes, he's in uh, as a Spinazzola on left back. Seven and a half. I've I've gone for Christensen's part, partner Simon Kier. He's 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 just a real leader and exudes calm. And obviously, he got a lot of plaudits when the, through the the Christian Eriksen incident. But I think he's performed brilliantly as well. Um, and I'm going for Grant Hanley. No sniggering at the back there. Uh, <laughs> I think honestly I think he was outstanding for Scotland and no goals were his fault I'll be honest I thought Gilmore would make it in your team but Grant Hanley no he's not Grant <laughs> Hanley played almost all the games he, he got injured in the in the last game and that killed us um, so yeah he's made that just uh, and I think you could have put any one of Italy's three in midfield but I've gone for Barella I love watching Barella play and I think he's you know he's surging forward runs obviously Locatelli could have easily made it because of his goals but I think Barella and I've gone Pogba as well because he's just plays at a completely different level uh, for France and when Adam because he's playing a he's just been a revelation that, that more advanced role um, and I've gone I think I've got the same I've gone Sheik because he'll win goal of the tournament uh, it, was a, uh, it was a cracker as much as I hated it at, at the time um, Ronaldo just I don't think he's played that well but he scored five goals and he could win the competition for them because he's Ronaldo. And I've gone for Memphis Depay rather than Lukaku. I think he's been outstanding as well. Um, both kind of stretch and play and as a link-up player in the box, I think he's shown a lot of qualities, a lot of strings to his bow for, for the Netherlands. So that's that's my team. 
No, that's a strong team. Strong team. I, I would argue on Ronaldo. I don't know if Tom's included him, but I think now's probably the time to say he hasn't played that well. He can't be in the team in the top competition so far. He can if you want to score five goals, assist another, and they've only scored seven. He's, he's been involved in six or seven goals and he's not played well. So imagine when he starts playing well. Penalty merchant. Tom? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo. Is he a good player? Blumenek, we're better than that, aren't we, guys? Come on. Come on. Anyway. Oh, we've, we've, already named, I think, we've already named half the Italy squad, half the Dutch squad, loads of Danes. So we'll see what Tom's got. I mean, there are some some of those nations. Anyway, we're starting in goal with the goalkeeper of the tournament, England's best player, Jordan Pickford. Don't know how you can not put Jordan Pickford as your goalkeeper, exuding calm against all the odds. And I like his cheeky little haircut that he's got. So he's in goal. <laughs> uh, right back, we've got Andre Botka from Hungary because he played really well and he nutmegged Kylian Mbappe in the moment of the tournament that will be forgotten forever because uh, France instantly scored an equaliser five minutes later. <laughs> uh, Benucci at centre-half because he's not Chiellini and I knew you'd all pick Chiellini. Uh, Joe, <laughs> Joe Rodon for Wales because I think he's been yeah. excellent for them and he's showing why he's um, so highly rated. Uh, Gosens at left-back for Germany. I know he plays as wing-back, but I reckon he'd do a job at left-back. Uh, Laszlo Kleinheiser from Hungary in, in a sitting defensive midfield role because I thought he was excellent against France. He's 27, but he looks about 45. No offence, Laszlo. And brilliantly, his nickname is Paul Scholes for the only fact that he's short and ginger. He looks nothing like <laughs> Paul Scholes. He doesn't play like Paul Scholes, but it's one of those brilliantly like simplistic football nicknames. Uh, I've got Locatelli alongside him in midfield and Frankie de Jong, Holland, as I said at the start of the tournament, everyone's favourite team. Memphis Depay on the right. Uh, Alex Izak for Sweden, leading the line. Showing what a promising young player he is. I've really enjoyed watching him. Has and he scored? Dan Jay. He's not scored, but that doesn't matter. It's all about enjoyment. No. He's just set up so the joy. team of the tournament so far. No goal. He's playing for Sweden, Hugh. What do you want, what do you want from him? Come on. Honestly. Well, his straight partner scored three, hasn't he? Nah, that's Forsberg. He's a, like <laughs> sitting, you know, attacking midfielder. Anyway, I thought you watch Isaac. He's going, he's going places. Anyway, uh, and my winger is Daniel James because I think much maligned in the Man United squad. I think he's shown what, what a good little player he is. Uh, and I think he's really important to the way Wales play. I've just about in my team got an amalgamation of all the players you've picked so far. So like Alisson, I've gone for the Finnish goalkeeper, Hrdetsky, I think his name is. Uh, Dumfries at right back, Simon Kiar, Denmark, Benucci, Italy, because once again, he's he's not Chiellini. So there you go. Uh, I've gone for Torgan Hazard at left back. I know he plays left wing back as well, but I thought he's been great going forward. So I picked him. Paul Pogba obviously is in there. He's been great. I've gone for Locatelli of Italy. And then my front line's slightly different. I've got Dan James of Wales and Romelu Lukaku, but I've gone for Emil Forsberg. I've decided to move him in from the left-hand side to play number 10 because I think he's been great bursting into the box. And I've gone for Lorenzo Insigne. Uh, out on the left-hand side for Italy because I just think in terms of the patterns of play, he's been sort of integral to it in his his pace and I think also he's going to be a big, big factor going forward. Um, just on our teams of the competition so far, there was only one England player was there from all four of us. Jordan picked for the goalkeeper. I mean, that Best does player. not bode well. Well, it bodes well for Jordan Pickford. It's quite a turnaround, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. Alison? Well, I was going to say maybe it does bode well because I would have put quite a few Hungary players in. And then I thought, well, that's silly because what made Hungary good fun was that complete, they were better than the sum of their parts and they just clicked at the right moment and they had amazing fans backing them. And it was a real sort of group effort it almost felt wrong to 
to pluck someone out. So maybe we're not picking England players because they're playing as a as a group and we don't want players to stand out. I'm clutching at straws. We want them to be, you know, a, 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 a morass of an entity. We want them to be England and not really want to to pick out superstars because we want to play as a team for, for once. I don't actually believe a word I just said. It was good. You should have stuck by it. I really believed it. I was, I was <laughs> you know, I was, God, God Save the Queen was playing behind you in a rising tone. There was a, is that, is you know, a one of your of flags from outside the house was blowing in. The St. George's flag was flying. I could, I really believed it. You should have gone with it. I, I was fantastic. Also, arguably the, arguably the most, most important player of the tournament has been De Bruyne and he's only played half the minutes. He's played 135 minutes, but you know, he completely changed the game for, for Belgium and when he's playing they've got every chance of winning it so he's not made our team any of our teams but he's arguably been the most important player for any team he was very yeah. close only because he hadn't played all the games I think exactly, the only yeah. reason that he got yeah. left out and he might well end up being the player of the tournament so we yeah. will be discussing KDB I'm sure uh, in the coming days and weeks but three Wales players were named amongst us Roden James was in there Ward as well we'll discuss Wales next but remember if you're enjoying the podcast please leave us a five star review on Apple podcast or wherever you listen to your podcast and of course make sure you're subscribed to the times and the sunday times right now so we've reached the business part of the competition there are no second chances i've got on the road once again i've joined tom roddy out in amsterdam for a massive game for the welsh dragons it will have huge significance against everyone's adopted second team in the shape of Denmark on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to this game. I think Wales, once again, will provide us with a really entertaining one. But of course, the subplots are what makes this so interesting as well. And Wales, of course, reaching the semi-finals back in 2016 and this sort of feeling that they might do it again. I wonder if they are capable. Um, Connor Roberts, their fullback's been speaking. He said 99% of the world will be supporting the Danes after, of course, Christian Eriksen's cardiac arrest during their first match. Alison, do you think Wales will assume the role of the underdog and, and will it help them? Yeah, but it's not the same sort of underdog, is it? I mean, this is, this is the weird thing. Actually, they're not the underdog because they did so well in the previous tournament and because Denmark are the underdogs because they are now without their most creative and most famous player. So, and they scraped through, you could argue, um, to this stage of the competition. So that they're, they're everyone's favourites because everyone believes they've had a tough time and they need extra support. So in a strange way, no matter who they were playing against would be cast as the, the bad guys, if you like, uh, for spoiling the, the fairy tale. And, and Wales are not used to that, you know. Wales, I mean, you know, Wales are about um, exceeding expectations, and so they're about surprise, and they're about the beauty of the fact they have, um, you know, one or two superstars who actually do turn up for their country, and you see the best of them. But that, no one, no one really cares about that unless they're Welsh now, do they? They care about the. the, the it's more. It's more of a romantic story the way that um Denmark carried on playing when they shouldn't have restarted their game against Finland and wobbled and didn't play well and you thought well that's their tournament over but they've they've summoned this sense of um togetherness which was already there it's just been accentuated by by what happened 
And it's just, I, I just, I think, I think the team talk, the the way they, the atmosphere they create before they go out on the pitch, and it'll be a stadium that'll be overwhelmingly supporting Denmark. They have to, they have to. I don't know if they're used to being the bad guys, Wales. They never have been. So I think it'll be interesting to see their body language and how they adapt to that role because they're not, what they're not going to do is surprise people because people are expecting Wales to be um, uh, capable, but they're expecting magic from the Danes. So weird shift in perception universally for Wales, I think. I think Roberts is, is right, but I don't think it matters that much because I think big, a big part of the, the the Denmark turnaround was the energy within the stadium in Copenhagen. That was remarkable. That was, you know, even watching from home, you could see how much that fueled them. And that's not going to be there. Yes, there might be, the crowd might be a little bit partisan, um, but it's not going to be in any way, the, any way near the same kind of level of support. Um, and also Wales have just, you know, they pretty much silenced, I think, 30, was it 30,000? You were there, Hugh, against Turkey and Baku. So yeah, I think they, they're a team that have, they're clearly full of spirit and it's not going to be quite the same challenge at the face there. I think also the kind of time's elapsed now, although it's still fresh in their mind, that was like a huge feat in itself to the response against Belgium and then the, an outstanding performance against Russia uh, and a qualified. I think, you know, it's, they're into the tournament now. It's, I don't know, the dynamics changed a little bit. I, I think Roberts is right. Clearly, Denmark, the neutrals are going to largely support Denmark, but... I don't think in, in the 90 minutes within the stadium, it's going to have too much of an effect on the game. Tom, do you think it will matter? Because I think there's going to be a lot of Danish fans in the stadium. And, uh, you know, Christian Eriksen is a former Ajax player in their home ground. I think all the neutrals will be supporting Denmark as well. But Gareth Bell was talking a little bit earlier on. He doesn't think it's going to make a huge difference. He says they're used to being the underdogs. And I understand what Alison is saying. I understand what Greg is saying. Not exactly the same dynamic. Will it be like that famous Mitchell and Webb uh, sketch? You know, will they turn around to one another halfway through the game, the Wales players, and say, hold on a minute, oh... Are we the bad guys? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I don't know whether that's actually true. I think Wales are a very likeable team um, and, and they've produced some great moments already. I, I just hope that almost the surroundings for this game don't, don't impede it too much because it could be a really special game. I think if Denmark play as they did in the last match and Wales play as they did against Turkey, you've got two teams who are you know, very much together as a group for different reasons. And I've got a clear way of wanting to play. And it could be a really good, entertaining game. And I think as much as Roberts obviously has a point, I think you could imagine the neutral being sat there. And if Wales beat Denmark, be like, okay, well, fair enough. At least they went out to Wales. In that Wales are a team to applaud and to admire. There's a lot There's a lot going for them. So I, I just hope that actually a lot of the things that we're talking about don't don't cloud the players too much. Doesn't come through in the the fans on the, on the, uh, in the stadium, and the, and the, the the players perform as they have done already in this tournament. I think Denmark have you know there is no way of phrasing this that it doesn't sound bad. So let me choose my words carefully. But I think at this point in the competition, they are now a side 
that look like they should be ranked 10 in the world. And that's the way they came into the competition. They, I think that last win will give them exactly what they need to remind themselves of how good they really are. I think it's a bad time for Wales to be playing Denmark because they showed the quality that they have against Russia and they seemed to have found a formula as well in this competition, which I've spoken about it before. Some teams are still looking for that perfect recipe in terms of how they should be playing. But I think Denmark maybe found that. Um, Gregor, what do you think Rob Page will do to try and counteract that? Because Denmark have played a couple of different formations so far. They played with wingbacks in the game against Russia to huge success. Rob Page moved to wingbacks in their final group match against Italy, but he had played a 4-2-3-1 before that. Maybe he will go back to his favoured strongest lineup for this game as well. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, I think you go back to 4-2-3-1. There's, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about this involving England and Germany too, as if the only way of playing against the team of wingbacks is to match up against them. It's just it's nonsense. I think Wales have already shown that they, Denmark are a high-energy team. They press from the front, Braithwaite, full of energy, Poulsen. You know, Hoiberg is like a little bit more advanced. He's right on top of top of the opposition as well. But Wales have shown already in, the, in all the games they've played that they can sit off and soak up pressure. And they've got huge threats on the break. They can hit Kiefer Moore. They've got Dan James's energy. They've got Aaron Ramsey and Bale. So I don't think Wales have necessarily anything to fear. I think it's just two quite evenly matched teams who are like already demonstrated their spirit and their togetherness and their energy. And I think it could be it's got the makings of a cracker. But the minute that it was clear at the end of the Denmark Russia game, it was clear. This is who Wales are going to be meeting on Saturday. You find me one person that didn't think, ah, shame for Wales, because the momentum, the momentum is now with Denmark. Wales are pottering along, tootling along quite nicely, but they're not, they haven't got that, that, that X factor, that thing. Denmark look like they're completely on the road to the semis to me. Wales have the X factor, X factor in, in individuals. They have big players who can do something from nothing and turn a game on its head. If Wales take the lead, you know, it sucks the energy out of Denmark. So, uh, as I say again, they've already shown that they're solid defensively. You could have named both of Wales' centre-halves, Mepham and Roden, in the team of the tournament. Um, the goalkeeper's been brilliant. They've they've looked solid. I think, you know, I, th- I think it's two pretty evenly matched teams. Yes, yes, Denmark have momentum, but Wales have, the big players have, have so far stepped up and if they do so again, they've got a chance. Tom, your thoughts? I, I slightly agree with Gregor. I think that you could make an argument, Alison, against your point that yes, momentum is a remarkable thing in sport and that sometimes you can do nothing to stop it. But the situation with Denmark can also be incredibly dr- emotionally draining, obviously. And that, and that can have a factor. I must confess, I was watching that game and I think I said before, I just hope they win so that they have that moment. They obviously had a far greater winning moment in that it was getting the late goals, Christiansen's strike. But that can be incredibly draining as well. And so, as Gregor says, if if Wales are clever, if they're quite coy and they kind of kill the kill the game and early early on, even if they don't score, but they just settle into the game, I think Wales have got a real chance. See, for me, that means that it's key that they maybe play wing-backs Wales in this game, if that's how Denmark are going to play, which I think they probably will then the only, you know, the main way to sort of stop the way that they play and and quiet them on early on, quiet them down early on, is to stop the the wingbacks. So play wingbacks yourself and double up in the wide areas. It seems simple. I think they've done well so far, Wales. 
maybe they'll play on the counter-attack. Defensively, they've been good. And of course, you've got Dan James, who's been running at people for fun. You've got Gareth Bale. You've got Aaron Ramsey, who's those late runs into the box have really confused teams as well. And then you've got Kiefer Moore for all of them to play off. You know, that could be the recipe. I think it could be a great game though. Gregor? Yeah, no, I, I agree. But I think that Wales have players in the team who put in the shift. You just referenced Dan James. If he plays on the left, he can... He can drop in. Ben Davies can come into. It'll be the same conversation with England. If England play Kyle Walker. They can almost move revert to a back three when they're when they're out of possession. But when they've got when they've got possession, they're a four and, and players can join in an attack. So I think you know Wales Wales kind of did that in the first game as well. They've not. There's some flexibility in, the, in having Ben Davies as left back because he can play centre half as well. So I I personally think they should go back to what's the the system that best suits them and allows them to get their best players on the pitch. Do you guys think they're good enough now they're into the knockout stages to replicate what they did in 2016? The winners of, of this tie will play the Netherlands or the Czech Republic. That could be winnable for Wales as well. Equally Denmark if they go through. Tom? I actually think they're a better team overall, footballing-wise. I think uh, there, there was an incredible spirit about that 2016 team, wasn't there? And the, some of the performances. But it, that team felt a little bit more backs to the wall they felt a bit more like minnows doing something remarkable. Whereas the more I watch them in this tournament, they look like the kind of middling teams who finish second and then could do something. You know, they don't feel like minnows to me. Um, and so I think they're actually a better footballing side overall. Look, if they get through this game, as Alison said, it's a, it's a hell of an ask to beat Denmark in this current situation. So if they get through this game, all bets are off, I think. Predictions. Gregor? Oh, <laughs> I love these so much. <laughs> That's why I start with you. Um, I think Wales could go through. I think though the next the next round, you know, I think Holland will probably get through there, and that would be, probably be too much for them. Alison, Wales two, Denmark three. <laughs> Specific again. I like it. What a game! What a game! Tom Clark. Wales on penalties. Ooh. I think it might go to extra time. Maybe penalties yeah, as well. I think it's going to be going to be very tense this one um let's finally talk about the second game on saturday evening italy superb so far uh, three wins from three in the group scored seven didn't concede a single goal they take on austria at wembley stadium with a reward if you want to call it that of facing either belgium or portugal in the quarterfinals after everything italy have done they'll face either belgium or portugal next if they get through and then possibly france in the semi-finals so if they do win the euros they're definitely going to be doing it the hard way um Austria in this two wins one defeat in the group stage does anyone think they can match up with the Italians tomorrow will they try I mean will they try of course <laughs> they won't try they're um they're a one and a half man team aren't they really I mean Alibo <laughs> the seems half man? Well, well the half the half man's yeah. on out of it I would say okay, and the, the, the the star is Alaba who uh, I know he's given away a penalty but other than that he does seem to be a bit like the Woody Allen figure who just pops up all over the pitch pretending to be um, a defender. No, I'm pretending to be a midfielder. Oh, look, I'm a striker. He'll be in goal next. He really will. He's And uh, it's quite good fun seeing a sort of a well-known, famous player in a team where you don't know that meant much about them and, and, and having to do it all. Um, Lewandowski couldn't do it, but he can. He, you know, this, is a, this is a player who seems to know that if he, gets around, if he gets around a lot, he can have an influence. I think Austria um, look quite solid i mean i don't think it's going to be easy for italy to to score against them so i, I mean basically if you if you're austria you just tell alaba to please please be really good and then really defend deep i think and just hope that you can take it to penalties because the 
honestly, their hearts will have sank when they realise they're playing Italy. Because it, it, if you go back and do your video analysis and look at Italy, um, there's no weak, you know, Mancini might even play um, a sort of semi semi cross between A and B team, planning ahead, as you said, Hugh, because he's got fantastically demanding games to come. He might think he can afford to be, oh, you know, put in a few, put in a mix it up a bit, not necessarily have my A team, because his B team is amazing. So if you're doing the video analysis in your Austria, there's no weak point. So all you can do is concentrate on being disciplined, concentrated and frustrating them and hoping that you create um, a fissure by frustrating them and making them cross. I don't, I don't, otherwise, I don't see how they could get through. I agree. I think Austria are poor. The game against North Macedonia was calamitous. Like in both at both ends, and uh, <laughs> it was quite entertaining for that. But it was there was very little quality, and they kind of limped past Ukraine, and they're well beaten by the Netherlands. So I, I don't think that they're a particularly good side. There was a bit of hype behind them, you know. This is all you know, high energy, high intensity team that not showing much for me, and I think it'd be pretty comfortable. Two comfortable Italy wins. Tom Clark, is it a full house? It is just because I hope so. We don't need Italy going out of this tournament, do we? No, kind of tragic no. one nil. Backs to the wall, Austria win. I mean, I, I love a backs to the wall 1 0 win for an underdog as much as the next guy. I really, really do. But we don't need Italy and Roberto and those grey jackets going out of the tournament now, do we? I, like Gregor, I think Austria are the one team that have kind of they've left no mark on me this tournament so far in the way that I talked at the start about introducing me to a player I'd never heard of before or surprising me with the way they played. As Alison said, you're like, oh, yeah, you're the guys with Alaba, Alan Arnautovic, when he's not being a bit of a muppet up front. They've been exactly that. Okay, you've had your time. You've had your fun. Let's shepherd Italy through into the next round and keep enjoying ourselves, please. Sabitzer's diagonal ball in the first game against uh, for the first goal against Macedonia. That's the only imprint they've really left in me. That was a beautiful ball. Low kind of flight, drilled to the back post. I can't remember who put in. Was it Schlager? Liner? One of them, anyway. That's about it. Nothing else. Well, I didn't realise there was so much hate for Austria on this podcast, but there you go. It's not. It's love. Maybe. It's, love for, it's love for Italy. It's love for Italy, isn't it? Come on, we all love Italy. It's, I mean, you know, I went I went early with those grey jackets on the very first show, but I mean, they're fantastic, aren't they? And as Alison said, the quality they've got in midfield, Gregor and I both picked Barella and Locatelli. They've got Verratti to come back. They need to stay in this tournament. They need to. Come on, Italy, don't let me down. We can only apologise to all the Austria fans who've been with us throughout the season and, and years gone by as well. Stay with us, honestly. Let, let, let me say it. I hope you go through, if anything, just so you keep listening to the game podcast. We'll be back in 24 hours to react to those two games and look ahead to some blockbusters on Sunday too. But remember, if you're enjoying the game, make sure you leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times for more great Great journalism from our journalists, of course, all over Europe right now. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to start your free trial. Q Ultravox. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. 
Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.